Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. National Postal Survey on Same-Sex Marriage. As such, we will not give airtime to the No campaign on the basis that it is prejudiced, homophobic and harmful to LGBTIQ people and our families. Our community may hold different views on marriage as an institution, yet we agree this postal survey is a political stunt designed to appease prejudiced and homophobic views. 3CR will continue to advocate for equality in all areas. At this particular time in our political climate, we need to ensure that our members, friends and colleagues know that 3CR is a safe space for all our community. Welcome. You're listening to um, Living Free uh, on Community Radio 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to Ruminations for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, My name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from active alcoholism. I'd like to welcome Kaz and Sharon to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks, Bill. Um, as members of Alcoholics Anonymous, they'll, sh- they'll share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. So usually we start um, the discussion with um, how it all started. So what was it like growing up and when did you think alcohol was good for you? So Kaz, what was your... How, how did it all start for you? It all started when I was 12 I was at a girlfriend's 13th birthday party and um, her parents had um, decided to put drinks on the table for the kids to help themselves to. (laughs) They were European and that's what they did. So um, I thought that was great. And, um, I mean, yeah, I'd grown up, you know, in a family where there was drinking and um, it, um, yeah, I thought it would be a good idea. So I helped myself and... um, very quickly got the taste and wanted more and well almost immediately I couldn't get enough actually and um, drank myself into a into a blackout very early in the night and wow. um, mm-hmm. yeah it was uh, don't remember much of the of the rest of the night and um, came to sometime in the middle of the night throwing up violently and um, in on a couch in the lounge room walked out sort of to try to find the party where everyone was and everyone was in bed so um my friend's mum got up and sort of um guided me back to the couch and I fell asleep again and then woke up in the morning and I was very very sick for a few days and um and uh and that didn't put me off trying you know drinking again I just I couldn't wait to do it again I loved um the effect of alcohol and um chased it as soon as I well any time I got an opportunity you know um, so how did it make you feel? Um, it made me feel okay. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. It just made me feel like I, I, um, it took away all my fears and, you know, anxiety and inhibitions and 
just helped me to kind of feel like I was part of the human race, really. Um, always felt like I was, I didn't quite fit in and I wasn't quite good enough and it took all that away and I suddenly felt um, like I was okay. Um, so I chased it, really. I t- chased that effect. Right. Um, so how did it progress then from 12? What's the... What do you do um, as a 12-year-old to get yeah. alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember how we used to get it, but by the age of probably 14 or 15, I was drinking most weekends, I think. Um, it's a long time ago now. Um, certainly by the age of 16, I was drinking regularly. And I don't—I really don't remember how we used to get it. Like, I didn't have money. I didn't even have a job. Um, I left school at 17 and went and got a job so that I had money to drink. That's really all I wanted to do. And um, by the age of 18, I moved out of home and I was drinking and using drugs daily. And that's sort of how it continued until I was 22. Mm. Right. Okay. Um, Sharon, you you had a similar but different uh, drinking start. So how, what was life like for you when you first started drinking? Uh, I, I was prone to anxiety, really incredible anxiety. and um, And I was went through teenage years that were quite difficult. I was having hormonal swings and um, I was very erratic. I dropped out of school in year 11 and I was struggling on some level in my high school years and I reached for alcohol at social events because I also had social anxiety. I was trying to be other than who I was and I thought a drink would make me more exciting, more talkative, more of what I wasn't. And uh, I began, my, my most significant drink I remember is at a year 11 dance where I'd invited a boy I liked along that I liked. And all I did was spend the night in the toilets, as you do, where the alcohol stash was. And I ignored him the whole night and he couldn't work out why I'd invited him and, 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 and was, was not dancing with him and was ignoring it. So it even, right from my early years, had a grip on me when I drank, I wanted more. And I didn't care necessarily. I could either swing between wanting to surround myself with people and woohoo, let's party on, or I could just want to hover around the alcohol and not care particularly who I'd, who'd, who'd I'd arrive with. Right. <clears throat> so did that continue as you progress? That, that continued right from then. Um, I had attempts at stopping, well, attempts at controlling. So I would have spaces, things would get so bad that I would decide I'm not going to drink for X amount of period, whether I, I couldn't guarantee that I would hold that promise. So I would say I'm not going to drink until the weekend. And on occasion I'd be drinking before the weekend and I took to to hiding my alcohol even when I had my own room and I didn't have to hide it and I took to stealing alcohol. My father had a, a wonderful cellar with really expensive wines and I'd sneak down and I would pick whatever bottle and I wasn't discerning and normally I'd pick the most expensive bottle that he'd have and he, who stole that? And it's not me. And my mother happened to collect little tiny-sized bottles 
and I would steal those and then I would say rather than I'd drunk it myself, I would say I had some friends over and we all mm. drank it. That was my normal story. I didn't want to say I actually sat by myself and I drank the whole lot of the alcohol all by myself and I know it's a lot but I had friends over and these miraculous friends that were meant to be turning up and then that made it somehow okay because it was now social but the reality was that my drinking it it had a component a very sneaky component to that I would be hiding almost from myself the fact that I was drinking as I was and as long as I couldn't acknowledge that to myself then it really wasn't as bad as, and that continued for some time. I would put a lot of effort in not counting exactly how much I drank, and um, and that stayed with me for a long time, the, uh, the not drinking. And when I returned to study after dropping out in year 11 because of my drinking, uh, and, well, a component was my, my drinking... I then got into mature age study and began studying architecture and uh, the alcoholism followed me into architecture. I thought if I'm studying and have commitments that I'm not going to be drinking so much, but I found I would run to the bottle whenever I felt the slightest unravelled and I quite often got very, very anxious and I thought, here you go, if I drink alcoholically then that fixes my anxiety and it makes everything better. I didn't see that it also came with a big kick. It also, I, I paid a price every time I drank. Mm. <clears throat> yes, I think every, everybody mm-hmm. does uh, in that way. So it affected your uni in, so what sort of things, so were you going to classes drunk? and things I, like- I was going to classes drunk. I wasn't passing in work. I was constantly asking for extension and was mortified when they didn't give me extension. I failed building studies two years in a row. I had studied it. I knew the material, but I would be, it was almost like I would study drunk and I couldn't seem to be able to study sober. And so when I had to front up sober the next day for the exam, I couldn't remember anything that I'd studied drunk. And, uh, so I would hand in blanks or I would I would just have mental blanks. And I really, really love the degree. And to go from someone who's a dropout in year 11 to someone who gets into architecture at a prestigious university, and I did not want to drop out, but I convinced myself that it was my decision and I didn't care and it was all right to drop out of study and... Um, and that's been the bane of my existence since, that I had this incredible opportunity and I blew it because I was a practising alcoholic that would have a few drinks to settle me down so I could study. But the few drinks became drinking so much that I would pass out and not study at all. And I would do things like not take notes. And then on one occasion, I borrowed notes from a friend and I was meant to return those notes to her, but I was too drunk. She rang my home to say, where are the notes? And I couldn't even speak on the phone. And my parents had to speak to her um, and relay on. And they had to taxi the girl's notes, her exam study notes, 
to her some inordinate distance in order for her to study. So things were getting really, really wow. messy. Yeah. And I'm in my, you know, I'm 20, 19, 20, and I'm inconvenience other people, inconveniencing other people. And I'm not really caring. All I cared for was when I could get another drink. Mm. And that's not me when I'm sober. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, Kaz, you started in AA early compared to um, some people. So you came in your early 20s the first time. So why, why did you get to AA so quickly, being so young? What happened? Um, I think... Um, my drinking progressed really quickly and um, the um, amount that I was drinking and using um, was uh, just escalated. I, I wasn't able to do anything. I wasn't able to work. I wasn't able to study. I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't able to do anything except drink and use drugs. And um, my life was really unmanageable really quickly. Like I was... Um, yeah, living when I moved out of home, I was eighteen, and I was living in um, this derelict bungalow on my boyfriend's parents' property, and um, you know, it was it was it just all went downhill really quickly. I was um, I was um, well by the time I was twenty two, I was I was I was driving around in an unregistered car. I was unlicensed. I didn't care. You know, I had no care factor at all. I didn't care about the law. Um, I didn't care about anything the same. I didn't care about anyone or anything really. All I was interested in is where I could get a drink or a drug from, and um, and I was um, I was regularly um, blacking out, but also passing out to the point where people couldn't wake me. Um, I was um, um, I was living at home, but I moved back home. But um, I was never home. I was gone for weeks at a time, and. Um, my relationships were suffering. Um, I was um, I, looking back now. I think um, if I hadn't have got to AA when I did, I probably would have been dead by the time I was twenty-five. Like I was, um, I was. I, I often say I was a pig. Like I just couldn't get enough of anything and everything. Mm-hmm. So I could have easily overdosed. Um, I was very fortunate that I didn't. But. Um, and I guess, you know, I guess I was fortunate that I, I came across someone, I drank with someone who'd been to AA and she spoke to me about AA. And so the seed was planted very early that, um, well, I knew I had a problem yeah. and the seed was planted that there was somewhere I could go to get help. Okay. Oh, that's good. Um, so how long, how long did you stay in AA? The first time I was in AA for three years. Um, then uh, I had a relapse when I was three years um, sober. So, what caused that? Um, I had a, I had a, I had a great idea to go and um, work in Cobram, picking fruit with a girlfriend. We went on a bit of a working holiday, and um, and I decided I wanted to stay there. I loved the country life, and um, and so I moved to Cobram. And meetings were um, further away like the distance you know you had to drive to get to a meeting mm. was further they weren't they weren't as regular so I wasn't getting to meetings as regular as I was um I started to gravitate towards the drunks in the town and hang out with them um which wasn't a good idea no. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh yeah so well very quickly really I just 
thought um, I thought maybe that I could drink again, that I'd, you know, mm. been a bit rash and, you know. It wasn't out of control. Uh, it wasn't yeah. out of control at yeah. all and, um, yeah. Okay, right. <clears throat> and so you, how long did that last? It lasted. That only lasted a few months. Right. I went downhill pretty quick and, um, yeah, was drinking in blackouts again very quickly and waking up with the DTs shaking and um, – I was uh, going to work drunk because I had to have a drink to stop the shakes and, um, yeah, realised pretty quickly that that it wasn't social drinking and I needed to stop again. Right. So did you take yourself back to AA? or did Yeah, you I did. Help? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I knew where to go and I went back to AA and um, was able to stop drinking again. Okay. So, um, Sharon, so... You're at uni having real problems. Mm. So mm. did you at any point think, I've got to find some way out of this? I knew I had to find some way out of it. I thought alcohol was the only saving grace in my life and that it was helping me deal with life on life's terms. Even though I was failing, it didn't occur to me that it was the alcohol. I tried lots and lots of things. I began at looking for churches. I began... So I attended a uh, uh, speaking in tongues, Catholic, uh, Baptist retreats, yoga, self-help books, psychologist, psychiatrist. I tried anything. I thought there was something seriously wrong with me and the reason I couldn't drink socially was that I was defective and I needed to fix myself. And if I could fix myself, I wouldn't have to drink the way... I was drinking, it didn't occur to me that the alcohol was the problem and that that needed to be put down. And and I don't know why there was this blank, but a number of alcoholics talk about the inability to see that the very thing they're holding on to for dear life is the thing that's causing most damage, and that was the same for me. Mm. So um, I also understand you grew up in an alcoholic family. I grew up in an alcoholic family, but I didn't know there were any alcoholics in the family. It was hidden so well. It was um, excused like uh, it's beer hour for my grandfather and he would drink at four four o'clock. It was after work, but then it was becoming earlier and earlier um, when he retired and... And it wasn't social drinking for my grandfather and it wasn't social drinking for my father. By the time he was 50, he was drinking until he, he, he passed out. And I just thought Dad's getting really, really tired because his job's so stressful and there are all these lies and these hiding about alcohol. So I couldn't fess up to my family or to myself that I've got a problem with alcohol because I was so ashamed of... If it's not spoken of, the alcoholism of this family, the, the problems with drinking aren't spoken of, there must be something seriously wrong with problems with alcohol. So I won't look at that and I'll pretend I don't have any problems and therefore everything's okay and it must be something else. And unfortunately, my father died of his alcoholism without anybody calling it as he's dying alcoholism it was organ breakdown nodes it's it's peripheral neuritis it's hemorrhoids it's kidney failure it's liver failure and one by one different organs began breaking down and it was never spoken of it was because of the alcohol 
So I, I took, took away from that, I can't be an alcoholic because if I'm an alcoholic, it is something worse than the most worst thing I could ever think of. So I just won't go there. I won't admit to myself, and that was predominantly... I won't admit to anybody else, but I won't admit to myself that I'm having a problem with alcohol, and I'll just try and fix it myself because that's what I do with anything. I pull myself up on my bootstraps and I fix things, and I was really schooled at fixing things except when it came with, with, with alcohol. I tried everything and anything I could think of, and I kept on coming back to drinking alcoholically, and I was bamboozled and absolutely baffled. Why is this so? This is one thing that I, I, I can't fix, but I kept on trying because I never never sunk through to my consciousness that I can't fix this. It's I tried that and that didn't work. Maybe I'll try this and maybe that will work. And I was incredibly creative with what I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. And every time I tried and I continued to drink, my expectations of what I could do diminished. And so from being a at a prestigious university, studying architecture, working part-time, um, managing staff at a restaurant to working in low-grade employment, working to drink and drinking to survive or believing I was drinking to survive and having all my money going on alcohol, my, my whole life changed, began quite quickly changing as a result of alcohol. And I didn't see that... I was changing as a result of my drinking. My self-esteem was becoming diminished and I didn't think very much of my, myself and, and all I wanted to do was drinking, was drink. And the drinking shifted from nightly drinking to drinking whenever I wasn't working. Right. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. I'm pleased to be able to advise that we are now podcasting our shows, and the last four episodes are available on the Living Free webpage, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree, and also on iTunes. I'll be podcasting each new show and progressively including our earlier shows as time permits. Uh, you can also contact us at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com if you want to ask a question or comment on the show. Um, I'll just play a, an announcement about a fundraiser we're having at 3CR. Here it is, Battle of the Sexes. Hello? Listen, I had a great idea. Male chauvinist pig versus hairy leg feminist. You're still a feminist, right? I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. The battle you've all been waiting to see. The Battle of the Sexes. You want to see it, right? Then get along and support 3CR at the Palace Withcast Cinemas, 89 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday, October 5th, from 6.30pm, for a screening of Battle of the Sexes. You're offering the men's winner eight times what you're offering the women's winner. The men are simply more exciting to watch. It's just biology. <laughs> the story of the infamous tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Tickets are $25 and $20 concession. You can purchase online at 3cr.org.au direct from the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or by phoning 9419-8377 during business hours. All funds raised go to keeping 3CR on air. 
Battle of the Sexes screening, Thursday, October the 5th from 6.30pm. Does she have the nerve? Call Barbie. Time it's on. Hello. Uh, okay, so we're, we're talking to um, Kaz and Sharon today. They're members of Alcoholics Anonymous and they're sharing their recovery story and we've been talking about um, life before AA. So we're now at the point where drinking's becoming a bit much. So, Kaz, when it does come a bit much, you've been in AA once, I think, um, and out again. So drinking progresses to the point where your social situations change. I think you said earlier you had a daughter by this stage. So what, what's, what's happening now? The yeah, I've I've been in AA. This is my third time getting sober. Um, so the um, the most the most recent time um, I was brought to AA because um, it, um, I well because of how I felt really. Um, I mean, my external life was pretty unmanageable. Um, but it was how I felt on the inside that um, that brought me to a place of um, desperation. I think um, I wanted to. Um, well, I didn't want to stop drinking, but I didn't want to keep living the way that I was. Um, it was I was full of um, full of fear, and um, I was paranoid to the point of delusional almost. Um, convinced that someone was coming to get me at night. I would sleep with an axe next to my bed in case someone broke in. I had the windows nailed shut and the doors locked and I was in a little farmhouse out in Cottlesbridge. <laughs> there was nobody <laughs> within QE of me really. Um, um, yeah, it was. I was, um, I was waking up every morning with that sense of impending doom that something really bad was going to happen but I couldn't quite work out what it was and feeling like I just didn't want to keep going the way that I was or couldn't keep going the way that I was. Um, so had you accepted that it was alcohol the problem? Or not, um, not at that point, no. Mm. No, I was... Um, well, this is my most recent relapse. I was convinced that I was... Um, that alcohol wasn't a problem, actually. <laughs> um, I was um, I was smoking um, large amounts of marijuana every day, and that was kind of I was substituting really, um, so that I didn't drink as much as I did prior to my time in AA, um, because I was a single mum and I had two kids, and I and I was really um, um, well, I was just really delusional. I wasn't I wasn't um, I wasn't thinking too much about it, really. It's just kind of what happened. Um, but um, I, um, I knew, I knew that my dope smoking was a problem, and that, um, and I had tried for a couple of years to stop. And I even went to university thinking that I would stop smoking if I went to university. <laughs> it didn't happen. Um, and. Um, yeah, in desperation, I reached out to a, a woman that I knew who had got sober with who I'd got sober with years before, um, and uh, in the hope that yeah she was still sober. And um, so I guess on one level, I knew that it was a problem. I yep. knew that I had to stop drinking and using because I wouldn't have rung her otherwise, you know. But um, 
there wasn't much thought going on about it. It was just out of desperation. I rang her yeah. for help. Yeah. So what was it like in the community with your, you know, your kids at school and things? What was the community's view of you? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I think I kind of – look, I had a beautiful community around me. I was – my kids were at a um, small community school out in Hurstbridge and they were my saving grace, really. They were a beautiful community. They helped me raise my children. Mm. My ex-husband, the father of my children, was involved as well in that community and in the raising of our kids. So, you know, I was very supported and and actually very loved by a lot of people. But I didn't, I I I I um I felt very alone. Mm-hmm. It, I never felt like I was um again quite good enough, you know, or loved enough, or that's sort of stuff that I used to feel as a kid really that insecure looking like I was feeling like I yeah never quite um fitted in even though on the outside it looked like I did if you know what I mean (laughs) yeah okay so um your friend helped you to come back to AA yes yes she gently encouraged me to come back to a meeting or go back to a meeting and um yeah, a series of phone calls later and another drink later. I think I was convinced that I needed to go back to AA and um, give it another go. Yeah. So what was the difference this time? Do you think in AA, what what happened? Why did you why did you stay this time? Um, well, I. I think I was convinced that that I'm powerless over alcohol and there is, you know, not a shadow of a doubt in, anymore in my um, mind about my powerlessness over my alcohol and uh, over alcohol and drugs for me. Um, I, I don't know that... Um, look, I was sober last time... The last time I was in AA, I was sober for 12 years and this time I've been sober for nine, so... You know, I'm not even. I haven't even been in the fellowship again as long as I was last time. Um, I don't take it for granted this time. Last time I was sober, I, I thought I'd never drink again. I was convinced that I would never drink again, um, and I was quite. Um, I mean, I was immersed in AA, so you know, um, at the time it didn't look like I would drink again. But I walked away and. Um, thought I'd be okay and so this time I guess I know that I've got to be really vigilant and it's only a day at a time I'll never say I'll never drink again but I don't ever want to drink again um do you have the desire no 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 I have no desire to drink today or use drugs um haven't had since I came back to AA nearly just over nine years ago wow that's great um Sharon <clears throat> Coming to AA, how did what what brought you to into AA the first time? First time I was twenty nine, and I came into AA because I'd had a particularly bad night, a Melbourne Cup night, where I began drinking at nine in the morning. Uh, which we're going on a cruise. It was a company function. It was everything was put out. Exquisite food, abundance of wine. You were greeted with a glass of. 
I think spirits, <laughs> a glass of something anyway, at, at nine in the morning. And uh, it was all very classy and I was glamorous. And I had really, I had drunk to about four in the morning and I had arrived with a particular gentleman and I hadn't left with him. Right. And it was really, really humiliating and really messy and I couldn't predict how how nights were going to turn out and it was so degrading and horrible to then the gentleman that I f- finished up thinking was so hot, he um, I was so drunk that he even had enough of me and he dropped me at the Flinders Street station and said, get your own way back at four in the morning. Wow. And I arrived back at the house that I shared with this gentleman and he was gutted. It was humiliating. It had been his work function and I felt so, so bad. I don't know how I knew about AA, but I knew I needed to do something and I went to an AA. What I didn't know, though, is I... I I knew I had a problem. I still hadn't convinced myself that I was an alcoholic. So when I did go to AA, I sat there and I I, I just couldn't see myself in all of it. One of two things happened. Either someone would share and it would be so painfully the same as it would be an experience exactly the same and it would hurt me and I would think I are trying desperately to avoid this. Why would I want to sit in an AA meeting and hear people tell stories that are exactly the same as me? This is incredibly painful and I don't see the value of it. So I didn't get that by hearing these stories, I would come to a point of identifying, of breaking through, shattering the glass and seeing you are an alcoholic, this is you. I didn't stay long enough I only stayed a matter of months and then I ran from AA and I ran back to the bottle. But I didn't think when I left AA that I was running back to the bottle. And I began on my merry way until I was 39, so 10 years of more chaos. And then at 39, I came to AA and I did it half-heartedly. And I managed to get a year and a half up of recovery by doing it very half-heartedly, knowing I'm probably an alcoholic, I need not drink, I I shouldn't be drinking, therefore I won't drink. But there was part of me that still wasn't convinced about the problem of my drinking. I wasn't prepared to do what other people with extensive recovery who were really, really well, I wasn't prepared to do what they did. It would be, I'll take this, I'll go to a meeting intermittently I'll take a service position I will do some of what you suggest but the bulk of what you suggest I won't do because I'm not as bad as you my story was as bad at as if not worse than anybody in recovery I mightn't have gone to jail mm. I mightn't have um, um, certain things didn't happen um, to me I hadn't lost my license but really the way I felt, and I, I was truly an alcoholic, but I wasn't 100% com- uh, committed. And then I came back at about 49, and by then I knew to the core of my being that I was an alcoholic. It had taken, for me, it was a slow understanding. Some people get that they're an alcoholic. They come at 16, and they've got it very quickly. Unfortunately, the denial was so acute 
that I needed to keep on coming back to understand and I am eternally grateful that I did come back. People have said to me in my journey of coming, disappearing, coming, that we thought you wouldn't get recovery. When we didn't hear from you, we thought you were dead. And I oh, don't be ridiculous. And I would laugh at them thinking that that is the most absurd thing. Of course, I'm going to go on living and living and living with my dangerous alcoholic behaviour. It's only now in recovery that I understand that I could have died at any moment. I was drink driving. I was recklessly living. I was sleeping out rather than sleeping in my warm, cosy bed. I would sleep out in parks because I would... It, um, people around me didn't want me drinking. My husband, my daughter didn't want me drinking. So I grabbed my bottle um, and run and run and run and sleep in a park just so I could be safe and not safe with my bottle. And that bottle was killing me. There was no safety in my alcoholism, but I believe there was. So this time round, and I'm six and a half years in recovery it has been quite a different story. It has been quite a different. I listened to what I had to, what what other people I would look at and think, I want your recovery. I want to be joyous, happy and free. I want to live my life like you are and I need to do what you're doing in order to get recovery. I surrender and it was hard for me to surrender because I thought if I surrendered, I'd be somehow letting myself down and I would somehow be making myself more vulnerable and I just said I can't do it I've tried everything I could possibly think of and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried on my own and nothing is working and I couldn't get it and then I realized nothing will ever work while I keep on trying of my own device I need to be in AA that was the one thing that I hadn't wholeheartedly committed to and it was the last thing I thought would work and ironically, it was the only thing that's worked for me. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't, didn't get that. <laughs> okay. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, we're talking today with a couple of members of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Sharon and Kaz, and they're talking about um, coming into AA um, for the last, well, the last time, the most recent time. <laughs> Um, and talking about what it's like in AA and how um, how things have changed in their lives. So, um, Kaz, when you when you came in, how, how did things change initially in this last in this last time in AA? Um, initially, when I first got back to AA, this time um, I was diagnosed with cancer when I was two weeks sober. So that was um, something I had to deal with. Um, the miracle is I didn't want to drink or use drugs during that time. And, um, you know, I, again, I had a really supportive community of people around me who carried me through that. And um, and I had AA to, um, you know, to go to when I could. I was very sick. So the chemo made me pretty sick. So I didn't get to a lot of meetings, but something I don't know I just kind of feel like I was just carried through that time I didn't I didn't want to use or drink um um my life has changed um I think it's more of an inside job you know recovery Mm. for me and um my life has changed on the outside 
Um, you know, some incredible things have happened since I've been sober. Um, um, but it's this—it's the way I feel on the inside that's changed the most, and um, that's the result of of going through the process of the twelve steps, the twelve step program in in AA. And um, you know, I don't feel like I'm the same person today as I was before I drank or while I was drinking. Um, I um, I don't I don't have um, you know, I used to I used to be riddled with resentment and self pity and um and fear, really, and um and, you know, constantly comparing myself to others and um never quite matching up, never feeling like I quite met the mark, never feeling good enough, never feeling like anything I did was good enough. Um and I don't I don't feel that way today. Um, you know So is that acceptance basically. So you've, you've accepted yourself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Self acceptance and 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 I've and I've um and I've let go of a lot of those resentments and um judgments and all that stuff that I was carrying around for years. Um, you know, the self pity's gone. I don't feel I don't feel sorry for myself today. I feel really blessed and grateful for my life and everyone and everything that's in it and and um you know, I know I'm very lucky to be alive, never mind to be sober. Um there's um you know, and and yeah, I you know it has a ripple effect. Recovery, you know, I have a teenage daughter who's lived with me, you know, through her teenage years. She's had a sober mum, and um, and I'm really grateful for that. And I know her life is different because of that. And um, you know, I have a great relationship with my son, and I have a great relationship with my ex husband. And you know, I have friends in my life today who I know care about me, and. You know, and I feel the love that they, you know, that they have for me. Whereas before, I couldn't feel that love. You know, I just didn't. I wasn't Felt, capable yeah, of yeah, feeling it. Yeah. Um, you know, and some and some incredible things have happened just recently. I've been to the desert and worked um, on a volunteer basis with some elders in the desert for a month, and I couldn't have done that if I wasn't sober. You know, no, I, no. I, I wouldn't have got on the plane. You know, I had to get no. on a mail plane and fly for four hours to fly into this community. It was a really remote community and I couldn't have done that if I wasn't sober. Mm. Um, I was quietly terrified before I went, but, you know, I was able to face my fears and do it anyway. And mm. um, yeah, It's a great feeling, isn't it, yes. to be able to do things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my life has really opened up and, um, yeah, it's um, all because I'm sober. Okay, thanks. Um, Sharon, um, your daughter is, um, she's in Alateen, is that correct? My daughter is now 22 and a half, so okay. she, 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 she came into Alateen when I began this recovery. She was a very wounded soul. She had no friends at school. She had friends, but they were... <sighs> That they weren't similar to her, and she'd grab hold of anybody that would be nice to her. And she, for a long period of time, hadn't been able to have friends over because she wasn't sure what state mum would be, and because mum was paranoid and mad, and she wouldn't want to bring friends home. My daughter began going to Alateen, and I am truly grateful that she did because she had been wounded as a result of my drinking. She didn't realise it and I didn't realise to what degree. When I began at AA, she began at Alateen and she once a week came and she received the love and support of other children that were teens like her and 
who had had an alcoholic parent or, or somebody in their life that was alcoholic and who needed to be around other people that understood what they'd been through because they had been through a war zone. They were damaged in some ways, even though she was doing okay in school. She just was very, very unhappy. Mm. And I was surprised that she actually accepted coming. A lot of children come to Alateen and they don't think they have any problem and the, the problem's only with the parent that's an alcoholic or with whoever it is that's the alcoholic. Uh, she didn't know She didn't know that, that she'd been affected, but she came anyway, and she came because of the other teens that were there that loved and supported and helped her. And she wasn't sharing with anybody any story about what was going on at home. She zipped it. She kept really, really quiet because she had shame and she didn't want people to judge her and she loved her mum and she didn't want people to think badly of her mum. So her life has been transformed. She has come from someone with very few friends to someone with amazing friends and her life took on a this amazing quality. She finished up doing really, really well in everything she touched because she was happy. It's so much. It was so much easier for her to to do things when she was happy. She would try things. Her confidence came back. She believed that she could have solid relationships. She came to love, to develop a really rock-solid relationship with her mum and know that her, her mum was her number one ally, a mum that had been alienated from her and had been passed out a significant proportion of the, to- of the time, who loved her dearly but couldn't be really there for her she'll now tell me anything and everything she she through her alateen developed an ability to speak honestly and openly about anything and some of the things that she comes out with I think whoa I don't know whether I want that that to be shared a little bit of an overshare but I accept what she has to say and I'm really honored to to have that degree of honesty with her so she can be honest with friends she can be honest with adults with parents and she leads this really happy phenomenal life we're both incredibly happy in our life and we're both we've been transformed and and like what Kaz said it's been an inward job for both of us we've transformed the way we look at the world and the way we operate in the world and that's led to our external lives changing and it's been a gift both some and and I, I came to do uh, Catherine would do Al-Anon, uh, would do Alateen and I would do Al-Anon. I, I needed to heal too as a result of alcoholics in my life. I, I, I too had been wounded, uh, not only by my, my, my own drinking, but by other people. So to, to be able to look and accept whatever support and help is available has been a gift for both of us. Mm. And I guess also understanding or accepting um, that you are an alcoholic and that you can't change, you know. I had to ex- be really, really kind to myself because as a practising mm. alcoholic and particularly as a mother who's a practising alcoholic, I was incredibly harsh because I thought I was willfully drinking this way. My husband thought I was willfully drinking this way and if only I controlled it or did X, Y and Z. I was consumed with shame and badness around my drinking And I hated myself. I hated every core of my being. Why can't I be like other people? Why can't I control my drinking? Why can't I be a good girl? 
a good person like other people, why do I have to keep on getting into such messes? What is wrong with me? And to come to an acceptance of, I am an alcoholic. I didn't cause my alcoholism. I can't change it as much as I might want to. And I'm okay with being an alcoholic. It's not of my making. And I simply, it's not like cancer where I have this illness that there's not necessarily much I can do about it. All I have to do is come to AA meetings and I get well and I get phenomenally well. And, um, and, and it's treatable, my disease. Alcoholism is treatable. Mm. <clears throat> People in AA, we, there's miracle stories everywhere you look. And, you know, we're just some of the, the, the people that, that ought to be dead and are now alive and living this phenomenal life. Mm. So it, it also helps your relationships with your broader family? My relationships with my broader family. My relationship with my daughter, as I said, is phenomenal. And um, she knows, she, she will, whenever there's a crisis, I'm the first person to call. And she says, Mum, you're not my number one support. She knows I will hold her and back her in whatever happens to her unconditionally. And she gets my unconditional love. And it had been full of conditions before. My relationships with um, my family of origin have changed. Uh, I've got one sister that as a result of my recovery has recognised her issue with drink and has come into AA too, and it's it's a gift to be able to have somebody else recovering with you. And uh, friendships have imp- I can speak honestly and openly. And as a drunk, the last thing I wanted to do was speak honestly and openly. I hid myself from people, and I certainly hid my drinking. And now I speak honestly and openly, and I don't have that shame. I, I don't carry that shame. I've been able to drop it. And it's been helped. Um, Kaz mentioned a 12-step program. By working a program that's offered in AA, I've been able to let go of the, the guilt and the shame. And that had, prior to AA, the guilt and the shame of what I'd done in the past led me over and over again back to have a drink. And I would drink more then because I felt so bad about the last drunk and now I don't have to do that. I'm free of. I recognise I did this because I was a sick person. I was a, an alcoholic in full flight. I'm not that person anymore. I do not get into the scrapes that I got in as a drunk. My life is really, really simple, and it's clean. It is really clean today. Mm, that sounds great. <clears throat> um, so, Kaz... Um, with your children then, so are they, would you call them well-adjusted now that your drinking is no longer a problem? I think they're pretty well-adjusted. Yeah, I think they're both doing really well. I don't know that it's, I mean, I don't know that it's a direct result of me, but yeah, they're both, Chris is at uni and working and in his last year of his degree and doing exceptionally well. And Steph's um, just finished high school last year and having a bit of a gap year and doing a PT a personal training course and doing a photo shoot this afternoon with her. She wants to do a bit of modelling or TV work and, you know, she's really happy and has a really full, rich life. And, yeah, I just think it's definitely got ripple effects for the, for the family. So if someone gets sober, the yep. others bef- definitely benefit. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, I think our time has come. So... Um, if anybody out there listening is thinking of contacting AA, 
Uh, if you think it, that Alcoholics Anonymous could help you, then you can phone them on 1300 222 222 or go online to aa.org.au. That's all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Kaz and Sharon again for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing their AA recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Bill. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us next week when we'll be talking about recovery from drug addiction and we'll be joined by a member of Narcotics Anonymous. Thanks for listening to Living Free program, but stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective.